And good morning, Grace people. Good to be with you today. Good to be with those of you who are watching online this morning. May God's grace and peace and presence be with you together today as we listen and we learn. Well, I got a question for you today. It's a simple question, and it probably doesn't have a simple answer, though. What has God called you to be and to do? What has God called you to be and to do? Just let that question kind of sit in your head for a while. Let's sit in the background as we explore and go on our journey in Scripture together today. We have been on a journey, a journey that began this fall. We, we call it Route 66. It's a reference to the 66 books that make up the Bible. And we're on a journey that's bringing us through the big story, the big story of Scripture. And it's a big story, and there's a lot of components to this story. There's a lot of facets to this story. I, I think about the song that we just listened to that, that references little bits of the story and it's kind of like, well, you know, if you don't know the whole story, it's really easy to listen to that song and kind of go, well, wait a minute, graves into gardens, I don't know what, what, what are they talking about, bones into armies, I'm not quite sure. What that, well, each one of those is part of the big story. So that's why it's important for us to be in a place of just learning and growing. And I, and I don't want anybody to feel ashamed if you're like, well, I don't know what those particular parts of the story are from. That's all right. That's why we're here. That's why we're here is to be on this journey together, to learn these things together and to be a part of this journey. We started our journey at the beginning in Genesis and then made our way forward into the next book, the first two books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus. And in Exodus, we spent a couple of weeks there talking about this character called Moses, Moses who was called by God. He was called to be something and to do something. He was called to be a servant. He was called to be a spokesperson. And then he was called to lead God's people out of bondage in Egypt. And that's exactly what he did, and, and he led them out into the wilderness and, and led them forward into the promised land, although Moses himself didn't go into the promised land. Instead, somebody else who God called did that part. Joshua was his name. Joshua brought them forward into the promised land. There's a book in the Bible that's got his name attached to it called the book of Joshua. A lot of creative names there. So <laughs> Genesis, which means beginnings, Exodus, which means like exiting and leaving, and, uh, and Joshua, which means it's going to be about Joshua. So, <laughs> so Joshua, he brings God's people into the promised land, the place that God promised for them. And, and, and it's not easy there. There's a lot of challenges in this land. And so Joshua continues to try and faithfully lead his people. And then, and then after Joshua, God's people are in the land, but so is still a lot of other people. And there's a lot of, of interactions that happen between God's people and other people and God's people and each other. And, and it's just hard. It's complicated. It's not easy sometimes figuring out exactly what we're called to be and to do as a part of God's family. And in these early stages of, of life and the early parts of the story, it gets hard and there winds up being some confusion and conflict. And so God raises up some people that are called judges. Actually, that's not their title. They're not called judges. They do some judging. And, and in that term, what kind of judging do they do? Well, they do the important work of like helping to settle the disputes between God's people. Because you know what? Sometimes God's people have trouble. And they have trouble with each other. And they need somebody to come in and be like, hey, listen, okay, this is how this is going to be. Let's sort this out. That's what the role of these people were that God called to be a part of his promised land people, his promised people in the promised land. There's a whole book that talks about what these judges did. Can you guess what it's called? Yeah. Judges. Yeah, yeah, I know. Complicated. But 
story after story emerges of these judges who are, who are raised up by God. And they're just normal people in different paths and journeys of life who God then calls into doing something very specific and important for him. And as you work your way through that journey from Joshua to Judges and then from Judges towards the end of Judges, we come upon this character by the name of Eli. Eli was a priest and was also called to be a judge. So he was called to, to do things and to, and to lead God's people and to, to, to be an honorable person in this. And, and Eli does that as a priest, but, but there's a problem. Eli has two sons, and his two sons are jerks. Just put it simply as you can. His two sons weren't interested in following God. They weren't interested in being honorable. They were cheating God's people. They were, they were stealing from God's people. They were, they were into all kinds of mischief and nonsense and evil. And Eli really didn't know what to do about it, so he kind of did nothing. But Eli still had this important role to play, and, and so, so Eli has to, has to keep doing this role. And along the lines, he comes into contact with somebody by the name of Hannah, and Hannah is blessed by Eli and has a child with her husband and then decides to dedicate her child to the service of the Lord under Eli. And his name was Samuel. Samuel. And that's who we encounter today. So we come in to talk a bit about this young man named Samuel. And we're going to look into a book. And can you guess what the book is named? Samuel, yes, way to go. First Samuel, first Samuel. If you've got a Bible with you today, that's wonderful. You can open it up to first Samuel. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We have some Bibles that some folks would be happy to hand you if you, if you need one to follow along. Otherwise, if you've got a Bible app or anything on your phone, you want to just follow along, that's great. But just follow along and listen to this story about Eli and Samuel from first Samuel chapter three is where I'm going to begin reading. Starting at verse one. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. 
At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His son, sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. The story of Samuel and Eli. Fascinating story. An intriguing story. There's a lot going on here. Eli, who had been serving as a priest, has these two, like I said, kind of good-for-nothing sons. And apparently he hasn't done a good job of raising these sons or, or showing these sons about who God is. And, and interestingly enough, he has this, this son in the house, Samuel, who he's responsible for caring for and taking care of. And we don't know how long it is that Samuel's been with Eli, but apparently it's been long enough for him to know what he's supposed to be doing there. But isn't it interesting because when the voice of the Lord calls to Samuel, Samuel doesn't know who's talking to him. So apparently Eli hadn't even done a good job of showing Samuel who God was or what God's purposes were for his life. These were insiders. And so God speaks to Samuel three times until Eli realizes, oh, it's what he's hearing now must be from, from the Lord. So go, and the next time this happens, tell him, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So that's what Samuel does. And now God reveals himself to Samuel and, and, and gives Samuel a really hard thing to have to share. He tells Samuel, Samuel, you're going to have to go share this story with Eli, with this mentor, with this father figure, with this elder. You, this young man, are going to have to listen to me to share these tough words with my servant Eli. You can imagine what's going through Samuel's mind at this point, wait a second, this guy cares for me. He's, he's treated me like a son. He's, he's been caring for me in this place, and, and now I'm supposed to go and tell him that, that, that there's, there's judgment that is coming on his house? I'm supposed to speak to him and say that the guilt of his house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering? That there's nothing he can do about this? Really? Okay, and the next morning he wakes up and he's full of fear until Eli comes to him and says, what did the Lord say to you and don't withhold it from me? Tell me exactly what he said. And Samuel has to be a truth teller. Samuel has to speak the truth to Eli, one of these other servants of God, 
And here's the thing. Eli already knew. Eli had already been told this by other servants. Samuel didn't know that. But Eli had already heard about this before. He knew what was going on with his sons. He bore the shame of that in his own family. And here comes Samuel to reveal to him, as a son of his own, that which he wished his own sons had been doing. A hard word, a tough word. Samuel is called to judge the judge as God has judged Eli. And God has called Samuel to know him and speak the truth to Israel, to be a truth teller not just to Eli, but to all of Israel. He's to be a truth teller, a truth teller in the house of God. We are all called into something and called out to something. Every one of us is called into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what we are called into, into his salvation, into his love, into his family. And then we are called out into the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to be truth-tellers, to speak the truth. And if I were to end my message right there, you may come away from this going, got it. Thanks, Pastor. Everybody who I see and all those people out there that I encounter, it's my job to tell them the truth. But here's the thing. You've got to ask yourself the question, what truth are you to tell? What is the truth that we are to tell? And that's where we need to listen to the words of Jesus. That's where we need to dive into what Jesus has to say about being called in and called out. And we fast forward to the gospel according to John, John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. Here's the setting. It's the day in which Jesus has been raised from the dead. And his disciples are huddled in a room together, scared to death because they're waiting for the authorities to come and arrest them just as they had arrested Jesus because they were associated with him, fearing for their own lives. And shortly after Jesus had been arrested and crucified, they all scattered. They all abandoned him. They all ran off. And here it is in that same place that same day, in John 20, verse 21, that this happens. And Jesus said again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. These disciples who had abandoned him, who had left him hanging, who had scattered and were now huddled in a room, scared to death, of what the authorities might come and say to them. Jesus, resurrected from the dead, shows up in the room. And what does Jesus have to say to them? My gosh, dudes, are you ever a disappointment? I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, you just abandoned me. I mean, you just walked away. I mean, shame on you. 
for being such a disappointment. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> what does he say? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. The Hebrew word is shalom, and it's a word that's just rich with meaning. It means my peace I give to you. It means everything's okay. Relationship is restored. Shalom is the, is the hope of, of eternity. It's right relationship with God, right relationship with one another, right relationship between each other. It rights all the wrongs. It makes things good. Peace, that's what he speaks to his disciples. And immediately they're overjoyed. And then he says to them, as God has sent me, now I am sending you. And he breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be within them, that the same calling that had been on Jesus would now be breathed into the life of his disciples. You're going to go out into the world, and what are you going to do when you go out into the world? That's the next verse, verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the mission that Jesus gives his disciples. His mission, his mission of forgiving sins. Now, oftentimes we read that passage and we go, oh, okay, I get it. We're to be the ones who go out and judge who gets forgiven or who doesn't get forgiven. That's our job, right? Yeah, we go out and we say, oh, yeah, okay, you, your sins are forgiven, but you, no, yours aren't, no. Yours not so much. That is not what's being said here. In fact, a little better translation of this would be this. Those whose sins you forgive have already been forgiven. Those whose sins you do not forgive have not been forgiven. Listen, God alone forgives sins. You can't forgive sins. I can't forgive sins. You can forgive your neighbor for something they do to you, but only God can forgive sins. Matter of fact, it's what got Jesus into so much trouble with the Pharisees is when he dared to speak that someone's sins were forgiven. Because only God can do that, which shows who Jesus was. Only God can forgive sins. So what is he getting at here? See, this doesn't mean that you have the power to forgive or condemn somebody. God alone forgives sins. But we have the job of proclaiming his forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to talk about Jesus as the one who forgives. That's our job. Our job is to bring the good news to a world that's filled with bad news. That's our job. We get the job of going to people and saying, guess what? There is forgiveness for you, just like there is forgiveness for me. This is the good news. There is forgiveness the truth we are to tell as truth tellers is about the forgiveness of sins. It's the good news of Jesus, from Jesus, for the world. That's our job. That's what we get to do. Yet so many Christians seem convinced that the truth they are called to share is God's judgment upon sinners. Somehow that's what they think their job is. It's not... It is not your job to be 
the sin police. It's not what you are called to do. It's not what you were given the Holy Spirit to do. It's not your job to be the accuser of those nameless, faceless people out there of all the bad things they are doing. In fact, there is another who has the title accuser of the brethren. He is mentioned in Revelation chapter 12. Hear these words, starting at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's who the accuser is. Satan is the accuser. He's the one who goes around pointing fingers at everybody. We are the ones who come to bring the good news. We're the ones who, are, who have triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Your testimony is when you look to somebody and say, guess what? Let me tell you about this Jesus who I've experienced, who I've met, who I know. Let me tell you how he has forgiven me. And let me share with you that his forgiveness is for you too. That's the message. The world doesn't need more accusers. We are doing a great job tearing each other apart, demonizing one another, hating one another, and judging one another. We got that down. And in fact, some Christians are especially good at gleefully joining in. Listen, Satan loves abstractions. What do I mean by that? He loves it when we hide behind social media or whatever other kind of mask we wear and try to mask our self-righteousness by saying we want to point out the specific sins of people in the world who we will never meet or speak to, while at the same time refusing to talk about the Savior of the world to the people we see every day. That's our problem. <laughs> and I include it in a we statement because I can be just as guilty I can look at the situations and the circumstances happening in the world and go, oh, God, would you just do something about those people? Which people? What about your neighbor who you do see? Rather than spending your time judging the people who you will never deign to talk to or interact with anyway, because they popped up on your news feed or because they showed up on some news channel or, or someplace else. Listen. Our calling is to be truth-tellers, and the truth we get to tell is about Jesus, the Savior of our souls and the forgiver of our sins. And we are to tell this truth to our neighbors, the real people who we interact with on a daily basis, those people, the folks who you actually see. 
Well, yes, but pastor, shouldn't we tell them all about their sins? Listen, don't you dare tell someone about their sins and not tell them about their Savior. To talk to somebody about their sins and not talk to them about their Savior? We've got the good news. As a matter of fact, what would happen if we led with that? There is one who comes to bring conviction to us. There is one who has come to remind us of our need and of our brokenness. He's called the Holy Spirit. Don't take his job. Let him do that work. Let you do the work that God calls you to do, which is to share the love and forgiveness of God offered through Jesus. That's what we are to do. And when we don't, it's like, it's like being a doctor who diagnoses your disease, but then won't tell you that he has the cure. I mean, could you imagine being in a doctor's office, sitting down, having the doctor go, well, you know, hmm, let me tell you everything that's wrong with you. Let me tell you everything that's going bad. Let me tell you how this is going to turn out. Let me, let me tell you what you could have done to prevent this. Let me tell you how you probably could have done some things and done better, and if you had done those things, you probably wouldn't have this terrible disease. Let me, let me tell you about all those things. And all the while, has the cure. Twelve years ago, my older brother, Kevin, went into the doctor at the age of 50 for his very first colonoscopy. Oh, yay. Yeah, can I get an amen? <laughs> yep, yep, those of you who aren't 50 yet, your time's coming. <laughs> but then he went for his very first colonoscopy. While they were in there doing his very first colonoscopy, they saw something, something that concerned them. And they said, I think this is concerning enough that we need to do something about it. We need to do something about it right now. So they brought him over to surgery, put him under, and took a foot of his colon out. Right at that moment, my dear brother went from having a colon to a semicolon. <laughs> He's my brother, I get to say that. But in all seriousness. <laughs> oh. No, he knew that after they had done that surgery, they woke him up and they said, well, we've got to send this off to the oncologist. They've got to diagnose it. They've got to take a look at it and, and see what's going on here. We don't really know, but we had enough concern that we went in and took care of it right away. So some time went on, what seemed like an endless amount of time. And then I happened to be at my brother's house, and we were talking about life and other things when the phone rang. And he picked up the phone, and it was the oncologist. Now, and I could hear it through the phone as he was talking to my brother. He said, well, here's the deal. Uh, we examined it. We examined what was there, and it was cancer. And because we acted right away and took care of it, you're cured. You don't have any other follow-up treatment. There won't be anything else that has to be done. So in the course of one phone call... He went from being a cancer patient to being a cancer survivor. Do you think he was happy to get that phone call? Yeah. 
Do you think it was really good that that doctor didn't spend a lot of time on the phone going, well, you know what? You know, it was cancer, and here's all the bad things related to that. No, he got right to the cure. We are supposed to be proclaimers of the cure, not pointers out of the disease. And in the places where we do need to point out the disease, because there's a place for that for sure, God speaks about that too in his word. He says judgment begins in the house of the Lord. In here is where we also need to be told the truth. That you and I are sinners, real sinners, not abstract sinners. I mean like sinners in real time. Like the guy who cut you off in traffic that you flipped off on the way to church this morning? Like, like the screaming and yelling that you had with your spouse as you were getting in the car because we've got to get to church! Go down the list. Whatever it is, you and I are sinners in real time. And you need to hear those words of forgiveness too. And so do I. Your sin, your real sin, has been forgiven by God. By Jesus. Jesus declares that good news to you. You Broken person, me, broken pastor, are forgiven because of Jesus. Peace, peace to you. There is peace for you. The morning can become dancing. The brokenness can become wholeness. The sorrow can become joy. All of those things are part of God's promise for his people. And the only one who can make that atonement or that sacrifice isn't you. It's already been given to you by Jesus. He's already done it. It's already finished. Hallelujah. Can we share that with the world the world desperately needs to hear that message. Let's receive the Holy Spirit and let's go be carriers of that message. We've been called into it. Now we're called out to go and share it with the real people in your real life who you really see every day. Share with them this message of forgiveness. And let's let God do what only God can do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us together here today as your people. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that we can't do this ourselves, that we are powerless to forgive ourselves for your sake. We can't make the relationship right. That's something that only you can do, and you have. Through Jesus, you have offered us the forgiveness of sins. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit to receive that good news for ourselves as you have called us into relationship with you 
and now to call others into relationship with you through that same forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking those words from the cross, from that place of such pain and agony and suffering, right to those who were doing all of that to you and taking on everything that we would do to each other and to ourselves. And in that moment declaring, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Lord, we receive that forgiveness from you today in real time for real sinners like me. Thank you, Jesus, for that forgiveness for us and for making us messengers of that forgiveness to the world. That's what you called us to, and we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.